theyeshiva.net. Parshas Kisetzi, page 74, Daflamet Zion, column 4. Kisiena Leish Shtein Noshim. Dvarim, page 74. Kisetzi, I'll say Kisetzi on top. Kisetzi, one word, Kisetzi. This is the second column, Kisiena Leish. Lamed Zion, Daf Lamed Zion, Amed Dalet, Column Four. <coughs> okay, this is a discourse that the Baal Hatanya said on uh, Parshas Kiseitze in the summer of Tovkov Samach Gimel. Tovkov Samach Gimel would be 1803 in the secular calendar. Five five six three in the Jewish calendar. Five thousand five hundred and sixty-three, right? Tough kuf, some of Gimel, yeah. Now it's five seven seven six. This was five five six three. Eighteen oh three. Interesting halacha the Torah says in Kisava in Kisaitse. Man has two wives, one is beloved and one is unloved. And the oldest is born to the one who's unloved. The Pasuk says, He can't give preference to the second child, who's the child of the beloved wife, but rather the Pchayr of the unloved wife, he gets Pishtayim. The oldest son gets double, so no matter the fact that the oldest son happened to be born from the Ben Hasnuah, it doesn't take away the fact that he gets a double portion of the inheritance. That's Parshas Kiseitze, Peret Chaf Aleph, Pasuk Tesvav. So this is the literal, the literal Pasuk. He has two wives, Achas Ahuva Achas The Ben Abchur is Lesnia. And now, V'hoya B'yayim Anchili Esbonov, he wants to give preference to the other one. He says, L'yuchel L'vakr, as Pnei Ben Asnuah, Pnei Ben Ahuva, Pnei Ben Asnuah, Ben Asnuah, Yaakir Lassus Le'pishnayim. He has to give him Dath. Now, of course, the obvious question is why you need this dramatic uh, scenario in the Chumash. Could, could you just say the halach is that when you have a Pachar, you have to give, uh, let's say you don't have two wives. Let's say you have one wife and you don't like her. <laughs> so, and you want to, right? Say, so, so you say it's a practical situation that he wants, he wants to give dafka to the other wife. But the Nekud is not if you like or not. The halach is that a Pachar gets double. Now, just to emphasize in halach person could give a gift to whoever they want, whenever they want, how much they want. They can give away their money if they want and not leave any Yerusha. Some fathers do that. Right? You know, the jug that when Warren Buffett announced that he's giving away 50% of his uh, assets to charity, so his daughter changed her name to charity. <laughs> I mean, you could do what you want. You could give any matana to whoever you want, and if you want to give your second child everything, you can give your second child everything. I don't know if it's the wisest thing to do, but you could do it. But not Pateris Yerusha, Pateris Matana. A person could take their money and give it away as a gift. But as a Yerusha, in the halachas of inheritance, and say that I want that the, the, according to the laws of inheritance, the Pachar shouldn't get double. Somebody else should get double. The second child who was born from the second wife should get double. That halacha doesn't allow. It's Masna Mashakasa Betayna. This is the halachas of Yerusha. As a Matana, you could do what you want. But why does the Tayyid have to give this whole drama? So you could say the halach is when you have children, the pachari always gets double, no matter what. Automatically, you understand whoever it is. You like the wife, you don't like the wife, you have to. So the mizeps a whole, a whole you side here. 
to understand this, so he goes on to explain it spiritually. had many students. His prime student was a man named Rabchaim Vital who came from Damascus, Syria, and he was the chief transcriber of Darizal's teachings. Most of, not all, but most of the writings of Darizal that we have come through the pen of Rachav, Reb Chaim Vital. In addition to his teacher's books, he wrote his own svar. He has a pirush on Chumash called Eitz Hadas Toiv. He has another sefer called Shar Hakdusha, or sometimes it's called Sharei Kedusha. Sharei Kedusha, Shar Hakdusha. So he says, let's introduce a teaching of Reb Chaim Vital. Sheyesh lechol echad veechad mi Yisrael shtei That every single Jew has two souls. If you ever heard a concept that every Jew has two souls, the source of it is this. Shar Hakdusha Reb Chaim Vital. The Gemara in Brachas, Tafsamachalov, says that every person has two Yitzarim, not two souls. A person has a Yitzarim, and a Yitzarim. That comes from Gemara in Brachas. It says, Vayitzar Hashem Alukim Asa'adam, Vayitzar has two Yuds. So Chazal say, what are the two Yuds? Shnei Yitzarim Barak Kodesh Baruch It's the end of Masech the Brachas, Amachalov. Hashem created in each person two Yitzars. A Yitzar literally means an inclination, a pull. You gravitate. There's a Yitzar Toiv, there's a, a Yitzar of Toiv, and a Yitzar of Reb Chaim Vital introduces somewhat of a different, a little bit of a different terminology. The terminology is different, but it's, as we will see, it's consequential. Of course, he brings a Pasuk, as usual. Pasuk in Yeshaya Hanavi, Yeshaya Perik Nuzayin, Kamashakasu, Unashamais Aniyah Sisi Lashanav. Yeshaya Hanavi says, Hashem says, I made souls. So it doesn't mean collectively, it means individually. Neshamas, Aniyasisi, for each person I made Neshamas. In other words, every person has two Neshamas, not one, but two Nefashas, two souls. And this teaching of Reb Chaim Vital is also quoted as the opening in the first chapter of Tanya. He introduces his entire thesis, so to speak, by introducing this teaching of the same, from the same source, that every single person, every single Jew has two souls. Shtei Nefashas, as the Pasuk says, in Neshamas, Nefesh Achas. One soul, Nikr Nefesh Achiyunis. It's called Nefesh Achiyunis, which means the soul that gives life, the soul that gives vitality, if you wish, the biological soul. The soul that's responsible for the Chiyus, for the biological electricity, for the electricity and consciousness, and consciousness of the human being. It's the Nefesh that gives Chiyus. It's also called Habahamas. It's also called the animal soul. Because every animal has life and every animal has consciousness. This is a big animal, a small animal, even a tiny little insect or a tiny little flea. It has a nefesh achiyunis, it has a soul. So there's one soul that's called the nefesh abhamas, the animal's consciousness. And it's called the nefesh abhamas because in many ways it's similar to the soul that gives life and consciousness to an animal. In other words, from this perspective of this nefesh, we're part of the zoological species. There's a big zoo. Our zoo may be a little more sophisticated. We build uh, nicer gymnasiums and taller buildings. But essentially, the human being is not in a different realm than um, the zoological uh, species of creation. This soul is completely manifest and enclosed in the blood of man to give life to the body. In other words, the blood is the vehicle, it's the house. It's the place where this soul is housed. So the blood, like the Pasuk says many places, ki nefesh habasar 
Bidamhi, right? Hadam hu anefesh. The blood is the soul. So what the Torah means, that's why we have special respect for blood in the din of Kisri Hadam, and you don't eat blood. So the Pasuk says, Ki Hadam hu anefesh. Ki nefesh habasar bidamhi. So the idea is that the blood is the vehicle, it's the physical vehicle through which the chius is enclosed and manifested in human life. Which is why if the blood circulation, this is the key to human vitality. Of course, in the brain, and the heart, and in the rest of the body. So this Nefesh of Bahamas is a physical organ? It's man- no, but it's manifested. It's manifested within the physical blood, and through that, within all of the organs and limbs. So we're dealing with a spiritual consciousness, with a spiritual vitality and electricity. But just like electricity, we may not see, no, no one has ever seen electricity. But we see its results, we see its impact, we see its manifestations very clearly. Thank God for the air condition. So we see the impact of it, we see the results of it. And we figured out how to detect it and how to channel it, how to channel it, which we didn't know for much of our history. But we still never could see electricity itself. Now this soul evolves. Nishtalshla means it's a chain. It's, it's, it evolves from a very lofty place through many emtsayim, through many intermediaries, and through many sarim mazalas, many spiritual ministers and mazalas. Mazalas would mean... Uh, Mazalas could mean galaxies, mazalas could mean planets, but he's also referring to spiritual mazalas, through many spiritual forces above. Like the Medrash says in Bereshis Rabba Parshayud, There's no blade of grass down here that doesn't have a spiritual force up there that strikes the blade of grass and says, Grow, grow. In other words, the blade of grass is growing. Don't take it for granted. The process is so complex and so miraculous. So even though you have the botanical processes and mechanisms that we take for granted of how it all works, but ultimately you could trace it back to a spiritual energy that strikes the grass and says, G'dal, G'dal, I want you to grow. There's something intangible that is being manifested through the grass. That's what the Medrash says. You mean that's ongoing? Ongoing. Constantly. Constantly, yeah. The grass is growing. Yeah, yeah. There's this voice that the grass is responding to. So, of course, all we detect are the, that which our eye can detect, the effects of it. And the effects are phenomenal. I mean, phenomenal. How the flower knows, it's mamish like a collar dressing up for a date. The part of the flower that needs to attract the bees or other insects to come because it needs its pollination in order to be able to reproduce a new generation. So it makes itself beautiful with a good smell. It produces even some nectar, some sweet stuff, so that all the bees are attracted. That part, which I don't need the bees for, that remains uh, not very impressive. So exactly how the flower knows which part it's going to become, it's going to design itself, and it literally waits there and opens itself up to say bruchem habayim, and when the so that the, all the whether the butterflies or bees or other insects come, right? So these are all processes everybody takes for granted. You take it for granted. How the flower knows? It's time for a shidduch. Flower says it's time for a shidduch. There's no shidduch crisis in the botanical world. 
Is there? Sometimes with the bees. The bees. The bees is the bees is a crisis. Yeah. So this is a very interesting medrash that there's always a mazel that speaks to every blade of grass. It's not. There's a process going on. expression in It's higher and higher, and there's something higher on them. So the nefesh of Bahamas also, this animal soul also, comes from a very, uh, very lofty space, and it evolves. But as it gets distanced from the visible light of God, evolving from one plane to another plane. Literally, madrega means a step. From one level to another level. From cause to effect, which becomes the cause for the next effect, which becomes the cause for the next effect. Like an entire chain. I stayed in Mitzvah and it goes through many concealments and many restrictions. Until it encloses itself in the body of a human being, whose boss of Adam made of flesh and blood. So therefore, even though in its pristine state, it comes from a very lofty space, like he says, but it goes through a very, very intense and complex journey. And in this journey, it becomes kolul from toiv and ra. In other words, it's mixed from toiv from good and ra from, neg- from negativity. Now when you say ra here, generally, in, in, in the writings of the Balatanya, it's not the ra that we usually refer to when we say ra. We understand Toiv as being a nice person, and Ra, we understand you're a bad person, you're an evil person, like somebody who's, uh, who's nasty or, or cruel or sadistic or barbaric is Ra. That's Ra. Now, that's, of course, true. But Ra, really, in its source, means something else. Ra comes from the word, in, in Kahelist, is an expression, Hakel Hevel Uru'us Ruach. Ru'us Ruach, Reish Ayin Vav Sof, means broken, fragmented. The word ra in its source means fragmented. Not evil, but fragmented. Sometimes when people learn svarim, let's say, of Musar or of Nister, of Kabbalah, of Chassidah, they see a lot about how much ra you have in you. It gets them into a very lowly space in terms of self-image. It would be very helpful for people to understand what the word ra means in, 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 in these writings. Ra basically means you're a fragmented person. Fragmented person means you don't feel your oneness with God at every moment. That's what it means. Now that can evolve in many other issues. But the source of Ra means a sense of disunity in your life. There's no unity. There's a fragmentation. That's what Kahela says. Hakel hevel ur'usruach. So the Tanya says in Perigvav, ur'usruach means it's broken off from ruchnias. The feeling that you're broken, you're fragmented, you're not attached you're not always in intimacy with your source. That's ra in a very now. That's ra in a very subtle space. It's not coarse yet. It's not brute. From that sense of separation, after many evolutions, there can come more coarse forms of ra. And then ra in its most uh, brute form, which itself has so many different levels, until its most uh, heinous manifestation of ra. You know, real what we would call bloody evil, horrible evil we encounter around us in our world, unfortunately. Huh? No, not necessarily, because Ra could be in a very, very subtle, a very, very subtle way. But the point of Ra is that there's no sense of unity anymore. You're not feeling that you're absolutely one with Hashem. That's what Ra means. Ra means a sense, a lack of experience of oneness. A sense, therefore, of fragment, fragmentation, 
and disassociation with the source. That's what he says, that through many evolutions, there's so many restrictions, so therefore it becomes kalul from taif and ra. From her come to the person, from the Yisoydis Ram, everything is made up of four Yisoydis, Eish, Ruach, Mayim, Afar. So she's also made up of fire, water, air, and earth. So from the Ra in this Nefesh Bahamas, which has these four Yisoydis, Rayim come Midas Rayas. Now, hey, when you say Midas Rayas, again, Midas Rayas could be expressed in many different ways. There's Midas Rayas in a more subtle way, there's Midas Rayas in a more coarse way. But the common denominator of all of them are coming from the Nefesh Bahamas, which doesn't feel its oneness with its source. This is also where human intellect comes from, which is very a very lofty thing. Seichel Anushi means that the human being is capable of analysis and comprehension and curiosity. Seichel Anushi means the scientist in man, the curious, the curious ape, the Homo sapien that asks questions, that analyzes, that wonders where we come from, that wants to understand the secrets of cosmology or the secrets of biology or the secrets of physics. This is Seichel Anushi, the blessing of mankind, that we have Seichel, we can dissect, we can analyze, we can ask questions. We're the creatures that wonder about things. We wonder. We have identity crisis. We want to know where we came from, where we're going, who we are, who we're not. What are we up to? What are we not up to? This Seichel Anushi is part of the Nefesh Bahamas' property. In other words, it's an intellectual animal. Because each soul is made up of an entire persona. It has many faculties. It has faculties of cognition, and it has faculties of emotions. That's chachma binadas cognition, and midas are emotions. And because of her, a person is capable of transgressing God's will, to my Shekosov, as the Pasuk says in Vayikra, V'nefesh kisechta. A soul that will sin. V'nefesh kisechta. Vayikra peyrek hey. What's the idea of nefesh kisechta, the nefesh of Bahamas? Ki machmas riba yasteirem b'tzimtzum ma'machasem ma'alim oirin tzayf baruchu. Because due to the many concealments and restrictions that eclipse the divine infinite energy the person feels that he is detached from God. And that is the beginning of Ra. The fact that I feel that Hashem is not in me, with me, every in every space, in every moment, in every experience, in every encounter, this is what the Nefesh of Bahamas perceives about life. The first sense of disunity, disassociation, and fragmentation. The truth is that it's Oyrein Tzayv Baruch Oyrein Tzayv Baruch means it's an infinite presence. If it's infinite, so there's no space that's devoid of it. But because the person has an Efesh Bahamas, the Efesh Bahamas doesn't detect this easily, so therefore the person feels that I am detached. I am on my own. I'm a somethingness. Yesh is a something, an ego. And separate, detached. So the Nefesh of Bahamas allows a person this feeling that I am separate, I'm fragmented. I am not part of him. 
when the truth is that this is the experience of the Nefesh it's perception. On a deeper level, as we'll soon see, the person experiences complete oneness, complete intimacy. There's no space in which he and me are, are detached. In fact, I am an expression of his light. I am a continuation of his energy. I am part of him. There's no me outside of him. My me is an expression of Hashem. Which means, of course, that yourself is really a part of the divine. And therefore, it's always connected with the infinite. It's always in a state of wholesomeness. It's always in a state of sacredness. Huh? No, he says it's kolol from toiv and ra. But basically, it struggles with existence as a separate being. It sees itself as a separate being, and that's where its struggles begin. The other soul never sees itself as a separate being. It sees itself as a complete expression of God all the time. And therefore, it's never in a situation where it's going to feel hopeless or depressed. All hopelessness means I take too much responsibility for my life, and therefore I say it's hopeless. All arrogance comes because I suffer from too much insecurity, so I have to become arrogant. It's all the same thing, because it's all from the fact that I feel disconnected. It's not that I feel disconnected. I don't feel connected. If I would feel disconnected, that itself is pretty good. I don't feel connected to be disconnected. I'm just on my own. I'm completely on my own. So I have to compensate for this sense of being alone. So how do you compensate? So some people compensate by becoming cynical. Some people compensate by becoming arrogant. Some people compensate by becoming depressed. There's another few things to do, but that's basically the three things people do. Either you become a complete cynic, <laughs> so you don't expect anything in life, or you become very arrogant. You can go, you go in and out. Oh, you go in and out. That's yeah. usually the way, right? The nefesh al kiss. Yeah, yeah. We'll see that the next step. The next step. That's the next step. It's a fight between the two. It looks like a fight. Yeah. That's like a Jewish answer, right? <laughs> yes, it's a fight. It's a fight. It's a fight, but the, nefesh, the point is that the Nefesh of Bahamas is not really... How could the Nefesh of Bahamas be toiv without Nefesh of Can? No, because everything is toiv. That's what he says. It comes from a very lofty place. It just goes through a very complex evolutionary process. So, and it goes through... Hashem made many layers of concealment that it goes through, and that becomes part of its identity. So it's a product of concealment. So therefore, when you ask it who it is, it will always define itself in terms that are detached from its source. It doesn't see itself as God's presence in this world. It really is. It really is. It just doesn't see itself that way. It sees itself in a different way. So therefore, it has all of its experiences in terms of it does not feel that right now it's completely wholesome. Right now it's completely powerful. Right now it's completely positive. Right now it's completely potent. It becomes lost, it becomes broken, it becomes fragmented, and it has, to, it has to rebuild its life. So it's a very impressive soul, and it's very, very intelligent, and it can be very smart and very curious. But at the core of this soul, the person feels completely detached. That sense of detachment comes from this soul. So we operate on this level of consciousness sometimes all of our lives. Some people, their entire lives, they operate on this level of consciousness. They may never even know that they have another level of consciousness. This is the consciousness that they live with. This is what they wake up with. This is what they breathe. 
This is how they feel about themselves. This is how they would talk about themselves. This is how they go to sleep. This is their life. But the other soul is still there. Always, Always there. So what? He's putting the other soul asleep. It's called unconscious. It's unconscious. 150 years before Freud, the Balatanya wrote hundreds of times that people don't operate on one level of consciousness. They operate on two levels of consciousness at least usually on infinite levels of consciousness, but at least two levels of consciousness, but one is relegated to the subconscious. You know what subconscious means? Sub means like a basement, under. So subconscious means there's that which is on the surface. If you ask me, who am I? And I start talking about myself, this is who I am. The subconscious would mean, it's me, but I don't know who it is. So it's like in the basement. It's like in the sub-cellar of my psyche. You know, like you have a house with a cellar, then you have a sub-cellar, then you have a sub-sub-sub-sub-sub-cellar, and then there's a cell nobody ever goes into. Right? Just the mice hang out there. So sometimes the sub-subseller has the most beautiful parts of the person, not the mice, but other parts. Not dead rats, but good stuff. But the person never goes there. So the other soul is always there. The question is how much consciousness you have of it. So we, have, we operate on two levels of consciousness. The first is called nefesh Bahamas or nefesh achiyonis. And it's not bad. That's why I say when you say bad, you have to be careful. You see what he describes it. He says it's not bad, independent, self-contained. That's what it is. And then you have a deeper level of consciousness that he'll continue to discuss. That's a wonderful question. That's a wonderful question. You're really opening up, huh? Every person has a soul. There's no question. Every person has an unconscious soul. And B'Tselem Elikim Asa, the Gabishta says, Chavivin Adam, Shenivru B'Tselem, Ki B'Tselem Elikim Asa Sa'adam. Every person has a soul and a holy soul. The question is what type of soul? The question is what type of soul? There's something called a Jewish soul. But every person, Jew and non-Jew, has a soul. Then there's a second soul by the Jewish people. The second soul of the Jew is called a divine soul. Or as the Pasuk, Chelek Elekamimal is an expression in Eoiv, Sefer Eoiv, Job. Chelek Elekamimal, it's Kivayachal, part of Hashem above. This comes to the into the human being without emtsoyim. Emtsoyim means without many intermediaries at all. as the pasuk says in Kaihelas, Adam Yasha. Hashem made man straight, Yasha. So on a literal level, it means that Hashem made Hashem God made man straight, and he continues. And people turn their lives into complex, winding, uh, you know, experiences. But God made a person glot, yosha. Here he's touching on a deeper level that Hashem made the neshama of a person, yosha, that doesn't go through the entire evolution of all the different stages that cause it 
to assume a certain identity which becomes what we call the animal soul of the biological soul. But it's Yasher, it's like straight from him non-stop. into the body, non-stop, without going through the entire evolution that will morph it into something that is really lofty, but ultimately becomes something that feels completely detached from God. That's the Nefesh of Bahamas. The Nefesh of the Kis is Yasher. On this we say in the morning, in Berches HaShachar, you blew it into me. So the diuk is va'ata, you. You blew it into me. Directly, without any intermediaries, without any processes in the middle. It says by other Mauritian, he blew into his nostrils the nishmas chayim, the neshama of life. And the diuk is va'yipach k'moshal hevel ha'adam she'yotze mimenu. The metaphor for this would be the breath of a person that comes out of himself when you exhale. So your hevel is coming from you and it's going out of you. But unlike in the marshal, when I exhale, the breath leaves my body. In this case, the neshama never left. Because ultimately there's no breath or word that is outside of him. So therefore, it's always like the breath still remains internally. As explained in the Tanya, which he calls Sefer Shalbeinim in Perik Chaf, in Perik So therefore, the Neshama is always united with its source, with the one that emanates it, in complete and absolute unification. From her perspective, it would not be possible for a person to sin, to transgress his will, because she's always completely and absolutely united with her source. So therefore the whole concept of being detached from her source is not a possibility. Zulus, however, besides the fact, Zulus means besides the fact, it's just that the animal soul dresses her and therefore eclipses, conceals her vantage point, mehabit, her ability to gaze, her ability to see, her ability to perceive the infinite presence of God. So therefore, she herself doesn't feel herself because she may be completely covered over and eclipsed and concealed by the animal soul because she is tucked into that animal soul. They're, they're together. When Hashem says, Nasa Adam Bitsalmenu Kidmusenu, it's a remez on these two souls. Bitsalmenu refers to the godly soul, and Kidmusenu, the Dmus, refers to the animal soul. This Nasa Adam Bitsalmenu in our Tselem, Kidmusenu, like our image. So he says, Alpi Remez Bitsalmenu Kidmusenu refers to these. Two nefashas, these two souls. So the Mela, he established from the Rebchaim Vital and Shaar Hagdusha that every single Jew operates on two levels of consciousness, not on one level of consciousness. In other words, we have two souls, we don't have one. So usually you have something that has a battery, it has one battery and therefore it has one identity. And the battery, whether it's a phone or a computer or whatever it is, it has a battery that gives it its electrical power so that it could function the way it's supposed to function. But it doesn't have two batteries and two different types of batteries. When it comes to a person, a person has shtei nefashas, in other words, two 
we operate on two distinct levels of consciousness. One is an animal level of consciousness, that's why it's called Nefesh Bahamas, and one is a divine level of consciousness, a Nefesh Alekis. One is described as a Chelek Alekami Mal, it's literally, so to speak, a fragment of God in the person, so therefore it experiences life from Hashem's vantage point, and it experiences life completely one with its source, completely one with Hashem, and one is called Nefesh Achiyun, is the biological soul, or the or the vital soul, or the soul that gives life, the soul that's in the blood, where the person experiences themselves as something that is uh, detached and separate and severed from Hashem. He may not even feel at all his source. And a person can operate on one level of consciousness one hour, another level of consciousness another hour, sometimes a day like this, a day like this, sometimes a minute like this, a minute like this, and sometimes a lifetime that one is in touch with one soul and is not in touch with with the other soul. But these are two very serious, distinct levels of consciousness that both are legitimate and exist within a person's, uh, within a person's life. And therefore, from here stems a very fundamental, important idea. And that is, you know, in the, in the understanding of humanity, many have struggled to understand how it works because... Huh? Well, one could be subconscious. One could be subconscious. Could they both be subconscious? Can they both be subconscious? Yeah. Well, you mean if the person is dead? No. If they're alive, can they both? Can, meaning, can can we be unaware of both aspects of ourselves? Well, if we're alive on some level, we're aware of some glimmer of life. Hopefully, even maybe an external glimmer of life. But you know, if the blood is. <laughs> If the heart is pumping away the blood, so there is a, there's an element of chiyus that we're aware of. So we have some expression of the nefesh of Amis. We may not be in touch with the full capacity of our animal soul. I mean, how much percent of our brain power do we really use? Quite a minuscule percent. But some glimmer of life we have. So we, we may even in our nefesh of Amis, we may not tap in to its full uh, vitality, to its full uh, you know, capacity but some of it we're always conscious of. Some of it we're always conscious of. Can the animal soul overpower the higher soul so that you're not aware of the higher soul? Yes, of course. That's what he says. The animal soul could cover up the divine soul that a person completely becomes unaware even that it exists. They'll still have symptoms of it, but they will not attribute those symptoms to the godly soul because the animal soul will explain the symptoms its own way. You know, a person may experience a void, a very deep void, and it's hard for them to attribute that void to uh, the lack of nourishment of the godly soul because they're not aware of it. So they'll, they'll explain the void in different ways. So they may still have symptoms of it, but they may be unaware of the reason of the symptoms, be able to identify, you know, trace back the symptoms to their core. And sometimes it could be a state where the godly soul is completely unconscious. It's completely eclipsed and repressed, and one is completely unaware of it. That's the process. By definition, how does your consciousness aware of your unconsciousness? I'm sorry, what? By definition, you're saying that you want to define the, you want the Rapanthal wants to define the Nevis consciousness and the no, I don't think he's saying that. So, what, so what's the difference? Between, I thought you were saying that the unconscious soul is where our 
No, there is another truth, but it's not being discussed here, and that is that the entire soul is not enclosed in the body. In other words, that there's parts of the soul that are relegated to the unconscious. But here, that's that's a true. That's true probably in both souls. But here we're talking about a specific idea, that even on a conscious level, a person has a godly soul. But nonetheless, it could be covered up. It's still there, but the person doesn't know about it. Yes. The blood goes up to the brain also. Yes, there's two operating systems, yeah. Right. In other words, this consciousness is defined by both operating systems. One may be, he need not be aware of the second, the higher Excellent. There's two operating systems in the Jewish body, and that's what makes it very complicated. Right? Somebody once said, I think I said Shabbos, somebody once said the definition of chutzpah is you come to the therapist because you have a split personality and you want a group discount. <laughs> right? So here you have it. You want a group discount because you're not one person, you're two people. So there's an inherent tension, there's an inherent dichotomy that exists, uh, exists between the two. Now there's two important conclusions that come from this. Conclusion number one, is that the human being has a dichotomy that is inherent to the very fabric of his existence. This is not a split that comes because of a mistake that he made, or because of a sin that he committed, or because somebody did something wrong. This is part of the design of his existence. Hashem says, I'm at fault. I made you this way. So therefore... You have to understand who you are. You have to understand the operating system. Was Adam this way too? Yes, of course. Before this thing. Yeah. I mean, you mean because Rashi says, Nichnas Sahara. You mean before the Chet Eitzadas? Yeah. Okay, now you're opening up a serious can of worms here, what the Eitzadas accomplished. Let's, let's wait with that, okay? Because that's a little complicated. The whole famous tickle of Nefesh HaChaim from Chaim Volozhin on that. What happened as a result of the Yitzhahara? Because Rashi says the Yitzhahara went into him afterwards. The problem with that is, if he had no Yitzhahara, why did he sin? <laughs> okay, his wife. <laughs> why? <laughs> That's what Jews still do. It's not me, it's my wife. But, uh, but the question is then his wife. <laughs> why did she sin? So something that had to be, right? So when Rashi says the Yitzhahara came in after, you have to understand what Rashi means, because, uh, because why they do the wrong thing? If they had no Yitzhahara, they should only want to do God's will. So it's a little bit of a complicated right. Indian. Huh? But why would you listen to a snake? There's something in you. I don't listen to somebody if there's no voice in me that tells me to. But why would I listen to a snake? Probably we should stop while we're ahead. It's not going the wrong. It's not going in the right direction. Okay. You know there's a balaturim, yeah. Adam tells Hashem, This is a Balaturim, you can look it up. It's not a contemporary Mephardish. Right? He could have said, She gave it to me and I ate. We know it's from the tree. We know she didn't give him sushi. She gave him from the tree. So he says, I didn't want to eat. She took... She took the branch and she started to beat me. It's like you say in Nidus, I mean, you have him clap, 
she took the tree and she was pushing, pounding on me. I had to eat. That's the Balatur of Sess. Huh? Yeah, okay. I'll call upon him. So a person has to become intimately aware of the operating system. That there's two perpetual, continuous operating systems going on. And a person may not be aware of both of them simultaneously. A person may be aware only of one of them. And even that, a person may not have full awareness. You know, depends how alert they are, depends how conscious they are, depends how honest they are, depends how perceptive they are, etc. But there's two operating systems that it's not a mistake. This is an inherent condition of human existence, which is a very important idea because it means that this split (coughs) that exists in human consciousness is not a random error, nor is it a tragic error, nor is it due to the fact that a person is so bad or so evil, but it's rather the divine plan. It's part of the divine plan. So the struggle that we continuously have is inherent to our existence. It's not because I'm so bad and I did something wrong. That's a very important idea. And very few people can completely eliminate this struggle from their life. Number two, it has another conclusion that is very, very important. And that is, one of the great idea, one of the great struggles that a person has often is that there's so many contrasting voices in me and so many different types of emotions in me that it seems, you'll ask a person, who are you? Are you selfish, selfish or selfless? Are you narcissistic or idealistic? Or are you a brute beast? Or, or are you a divine piece of holiness? Are you a creature of earth or are you a creature of heaven? Who are you? So when one realizes how brute and animalistic one can get, what it seems to do to so many is delegitimize all of your spiritual experiences because it just shows that you're dishonest. You were just delusional. You were having what you may call celestial delusions. But they're no more, you know what celestial means? Heavenly. You were having heavenly, but they're delusions. Delusions means chaloimus, shechalmu, acherem, al They're worthless, they're meaningless. So when a Jew has a hisairus, an arousal, a sense of inspiration, a sense of ruchnis, a sense of dveikus, if you're honest, you're forced almost to delegitimize it and say it's all sheker, it's all one big live haraya. Five minutes later, the same person is capable of the most grotesque, immoral, Horrific impulses. It's almost comical. If we would have the opportunity to be able to see what people are thinking about in the holiest moments, right? Like sometimes under a chuppah. Under a chuppah. Or at a moment which calls for so much positive and holy energy. What goes through people's minds and hearts could be sometimes the exact opposite. And if they're honest with themselves, it has to prove to them the truth that that is, essentially, they are complete beasts. And everything else is just delusions. And when they come back, when they sober up, they just get back to their regular self. Which ultimately produces one of two results. Either cynicism or dishonesty. Either cynicism in the entire system, system of Yiddishkeit, because it's not true. Cynicism means you don't trust it. It's not real. It's, it's, it's if you're an honest person, are you going to fake? Or the other extreme, dishonesty. Okay. 
only conclusion? <laughs> no. Each one of them has a 1.1 billion uh, ramification. <coughs> but the concept. If you'll notice, he calls it the Tanya Sefer Shalbeninim. This is important. Why? Generally, Sifrei Musar spoke about two types of Jews. The good Jew, say the Tzaddik, and the Jew who's flawed. What was the difference? The good Jew was the Jew who was always in touch with the will of Hashem. Ratzon Hashem. He wants to do what God wants, cognitively, emotionally, functionally, and that's what he does practically. And the other Jew is the Jew who's not like that. The Jew who doesn't, can't say that all of his midos and his entire personality is in sync with God's will. So maybe call him the Russia, or call him the Jew who's flawed, who has a lot of work to do on himself. So you have here two different models. Now, the regular Jew, the ordinary Jew, the Benini, the human, human being, opens up these svarim and starts reading them. What happens? There are neshamas that are very subtle, they're very sensitive, they're very lofty, they're spiritually very um, uh, in touch, in tuned. So they can reach that. But most people can't live a life that they completely identify with God's will internally, externally, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. So when they read a lot of Svarim, different people react in two different ways. One approach is, this is not me. This is is not me. So I'm not going to lie my whole life. You have this Bachu at 15 years old, is hearing stories from his Rebbe or Rosh Hashiva, and he decides that he's going to be Rebbe Kiva Eger. You ever had that? Or he's going to become the next Baal Shem Tev, or he's going to become the next Chafetz Chaim, or he's going to be the next Rajba, or he's going to be the Pnei Yeshua, whoever he's going to be. Right? He's 15, and he starts staging away, you know, 18 hours a day, right? He tells his mother, no breakfast, no lunch, no, I'm not coming home anymore. For seven years, I'm not coming home anymore. And then a few days later, he's walking in the street and he sees something and he realizes, <laughs> he's not a Pnei Yeshua, he's not a Rambam, he's not a Rajba, he's not a Chafetz Chaim. He sees he's a regular 15-year-old boy with good hormones. So what happens? What happens to you at that point? Two things can happen. One thing can happen is at some point you say, okay, I'm not going to fake it. So you give up on your spiritual aspirations because you want to be a real person. The other extreme is you become a fake person. So basically at Shemayin Esri, you're closing your eyes. You make sure that you dive in longer than everybody else. You lift up your hands higher than everybody else. You're almost deluding yourself to believe that you are this person who on a deep level you know you're not. And that becomes very sad because for the rest of your life you're not honest anymore about your emotions because you can't be. Because if you're honest about your emotions, what's going to emerge is stuff that you don't even want to tell yourself that you have. So your whole life you're pretending that you are one of these model Jews who are experiencing very lofty divine levels when really it would be like discussing a dish for years and years. And you ever saw people discussing a dish for years and years and years that they never tasted? But you have to make believe that you know everything about it. Now that's very tragic. We're analyzing recipes of dishes that we never tasted. We don't even know what they look like, never mind. But you have to make believe that you know exactly what they are. You know? So people are talking about Tzaddik, and people sometimes talk about the Baal Shem Tev and the Arizal, and the Beis Yosef, and the Alshech, and the Baditchev, and the Chernobyl, and, and, and the Rebbe Reb Melech, and the Rebbe Reb Zish, and the Rebbe Reb Baruchel, and the Apterov. And everyone is supposed to get excited from their Kedusha and Tara as though it relates to them, 
And if somebody says, I don't know what you're talking about, I don't feel anything of this. I am clueless, I am alienated, I don't even know what they want. This is all nostalgia, and like somebody said, nostalgia today is not what it used to be like. And it's all trying to draw inspiration from credit cards that don't exist anymore. How long can you live on credit cards? How long can you live? You ever, have anybody tried? How long can you live on credit cards? So the expert Ganovim say three years. Three years you could live on credit cards that you have absolutely not a penny in the bank, but you live on credit cards. How long can the Jewish world live on credit cards? <laughs> Money we don't have, inspiration we don't have, telling stories how it used to be in Vilna and in Slabotka, in the Mir, right, in that circle, or in other cities where you want Poland or Galicia or Hungary, whatever, wherever you uh, come from, whatever gets your uh, parents or yeshivas excited. How long can you train a whole generation to live off those credit cards without talking about them? <laughs> without talking about them. If God is true, He's true today. He wasn't true 200 years ago in Mezhebush. He's true here today in this Trefana Medina with the internet. If Matan Taita is true, it's true today. So we have a major problem because you have those who say, I'm honest, I'm not going to lie. And therefore, I'm not going to lie. This whole thing is not for me. Go to, send it to the garbage. I'm not, I'm not going to be part of a game. And then the other ones who say, no, I'll be part of the game. And therefore, they're playing a game their whole life. And whenever you try to talk to them about their emotions, they can't. They have to cut off their emotions. Because if they deal with their emotions, it's going to be very ugly. And this was one of the great revolutions, probably, of the Baal Hatanya, that he wrote a sefer called Sefer Shalbeninim. And one of his chidushim in the sefer was that God does not want everybody to identify with Him 24 hours a day. In other words, part of the design of creation is that we are conflicted. We operate on two levels of consciousness. One level of consciousness, you're one with God always. Another level of consciousness, you really don't give a hoot. <laughs> you're just a beast and an animal. And that's part of your design. That is part of your journey. And Avodah Hashem does not mean that you obliterate one. Avodah Hashem means you learn how to live with the two souls, as he's going to explain. You learn how to live with the two souls, and other both of them fulfill a particular function and purpose. He does not want everybody to have one godly soul. Your animal soul is part of your purpose and part of your design, and the fact that you have it doesn't mean you're a failure. Avodah Hashem does not mean that every part of you is always in sync with God's will. No, that's not Avodah Hashem. Avodah Hashem means... That you, based on who you are honestly and genuinely with your two souls, can find your own relationship with God according to your capacity. What that does is, it says two things. Number one, the dichotomy is inherent, you can't get rid of it. Number two, more important, the moments of genuine spirituality are not fake just because they're followed by moments of grotesque grotesque immorality. The Nefesh Bahamas' experience doesn't delegitimize and make believe that the Nefesh doesn't exist. The Nefesh exists. I, sometimes, I completely don't feel it. Fine. You have two souls. You have two operating systems. And one does not cancel out the other. It doesn't make believe, it doesn't make that the Ruchnius should be completely non-existent. It doesn't do that. What does this accomplish? Not that I have to become cynical and let everything go, nor do I have to become fake. Rather, I discover, every person can discover that their journey towards God is one that relates to who they are today. 
It's who you relate today. In other words, every person, according to who they are, can find and become an Oyved Hashem according to their MSM. It seems because he doesn't want everybody to become a tzaddik, meaning that they get rid of the Nefesh of Bahamas. Rather, Avoidus Hashem means understanding your two souls and within that context and within that process, finding your relationship uh, with Hashem. So this Bitsalmenu Kidmuseinu, Nasa Adam Bitsalmenu Kidmuseinu, Tsalmenu is a remis for the Nefesh Alakis. Kidmuseinu is a remis for the Nefesh Habahamas. The purpose of the descent of the godly soul into the world was in order to become enclosed, to, so to speak, marry, to become connected to the animal biological soul in the body. It's not that the nefesh is stam on its own voyage, on its own journey, it was sent down in order to build a relationship and to become completely connected because the two, one soul is tucked into the other soul. It's not like, you know, we have two operating systems in completely different parts of the body. Everything we do, every thought, every experience, every emotion, every instinct, every habit, of course, every action, word, thought, is all through our biological vitality. If a person doesn't have a nefesh abahamis, a nefesh hachiyunis, then they can't live, they can't function. So there's no experience of the nefesh alikis in our world without the medium of the nefesh abahamis. You need the blood circulation and the hadam huan nefesh. The blood, that is the vehicle of the nefesh abahamis. And that is what allows for the oxygen, it allows, what allows for the circulation, it allows for all of the abilities and capacities of a human body or anybody to be able to function on each on every level, cognitively, emotionally, and functionally, machshava, dibur, maisa, midos, and so forth. So then the two souls are completely uh, it's two operating systems, but they're always together. They're affecting each other in a very profound way. And they each need each other. So he says the nefesh alakis was sent down in order to go into the nefesh abamas, to be mislabish. It becomes like its garment. It works through it, like a person who's dressed up in a lavush. That's why he uses the word lehislabish. When I'm dressed up in a lavush, I'm expressed through my garment. You see me through my garment. So the nefesh alakis is in the nefesh abamas. Lihilachimita. Now he does a few different words he uses. Lihilachimita to do battle with her. Ulavarirha to refine her. Lahafrid hatayv minara to separate her toiv from her negative, and to sublimate her God, to transform darkness, opaqueness, into light. How is this different than That's a wonderful question. What's the difference between Yetzir Hara and Nefesh Bahamas? It's a wonderful, wonderful question. In other words, he brings here the premise is that Reb Chaim Vital taught us two souls. Why are you looking for Reb Chaim Vital and Sharik Dusha? You could open up a Masech de Brachas, and it says at the end of Brachas, I think, of Samachal, of Ayitzer Hashem Alekim Esa Adam, I mentioned there's two Yuds, 
because Hashem created two Yetzers. By Yitzer, He gave us two inclinations, Yetzer Torah and Yetzer Hara. And this is why I mentioned Brachas. You have this dozens and dozens and dozens of places in Chazal, in Bavli and in Yerushalmi and in Midrashim. And in, you have it in so many sources. There's Yetzer Torah and there's Yetzer Hara. Every child knows, right? There's Yetzer Torah and Yetzer Hara. Why do you have to find a Kabbalistic work called Shari Kedusha from Chaim Vital, who lived there in the 1600s, the late 1500s, the early 1600s, who's a student of the Arizal, who tells us that every single Jew has two nefashas? That's your question. Huh? Vazaktiv. No. You're saying it says in Chumash. It doesn't say clearly in Chumash, you have a Yetzahar. It doesn't say anywhere. It doesn't say it's in you. It says, Reina sati lefonecha, esachayim vesatoy vesamoves vesarao becharta bechayim. But that could be outside of you. This, this time. Here he's talking about inside. That doesn't say anywhere in Chumash or Tanakh. It doesn't say clearly, Rabbi Yitzhavi Yitzhara. That we know. It says in Medrash Chazal. That's in Torah Shabal Pat. But your Shaila is, what do you need this issue with two souls? Or how is it different? Right. Right. The same is question. It? Or is it different? So obviously the fact that he's not talking here only about Yetzirah, he's talking about these two souls is because he wants to expand expand the concept beyond Yetzirah. Does he start with that? Is that the fundamental basis of the animal soul? Yes, yes. Of course they're connected. Of course they're connected. Which is why sometimes they become interchangeable in his own works. Sometimes, sometimes. Not always... I wouldn't say so frequent, but sometimes they're interchangeable. But even when they're interchangeable, it's it's also with the kavan. It's not stam that it's the same word. Because if it was the same word, then you wouldn't bring from Chaim Vital. You would bring from uh, you could bring a hundred, uh, dozens of Mamani Chazal. I'll bring out two points. There's more, but I'll bring out two points in the distinction between the two. If you see, it's actually you've mentioned it right now because that's where you see it. He says two things. The Nefesh Alakis goes into Nefesh to battle with it. And then he says another word. Ulevarira. Levarira is not battle. You know what Levarira means, right? From the word Boirir. Like Shabbos, Boirir. Boirir means select. Or it also comes from the word Borer, which means clear. To clear up. To refine it. Lahafrida toiv minara. Ulaha to elevate her. What's her? Her is feminine. Nefesh. Nefesh of Bahamas. Not one elevate the Nefesh Alakis. La Loi Solashem to turn. So you're battling it or you're elevating it? What are you doing? When you battle an enemy, you're elevating your enemy or you're trying to <laughs> destroy your enemy or neutralize your enemy? He says both. He says, and he says, This is a key issue. Because the Nefesh of Bahamas. The main work with the Nefesh Bahamas is not about extermination and even battle. Battle is only a prerequisite for sublimation, for elevation, for bitter. You need to do battle, we'll see in a moment why. But it's only a hachana to be mahapech ha-sheikh Why is this? There's two ways of looking at the negative in a person. One is Yetzirah, and one is Nefesh Bahamas. 
The Yetzirah is an aspect of the Nefesh of Bahamas, but it's not the story of the Nefesh of Bahamas. It's a derivative, it's a manifestation, it's an outlet, it's a result, but it's not the whole story of the Nefesh of Bahamas. The story of the Nefesh of Bahamas is that it's not evil. And that's why we don't call it the Yetzirah. It's an animal. Animals are not bad, they're actually cute. Right? I don't know if you guys are lovers of animals. Probably some yes, some not. But at least all of you know some animals are very cute. It says in Kabbalah in Mo'iriyar that Kelev is, is made of two words. Kuloi Lev. It's all heart. Right? What they say, man's, be- man's best friend. Kuloi Lev. It's all heart. It's all emotion. Animals could be very cute, very charming, very... Uh, uh, trusting. Everybody knows. Some people love animals. A guy once told me, he says, I was a little younger than I am today, he says, you won't find love with people. Buy yourself three dogs. Don't trust people. He says, I learned not to trust anybody. They'll backstab you. He says, the dog, that's where love is. You come home in a bad mood, you're depressed, you're angry. Yeah, he says, watch what your wife does. But your dog doesn't care, unconditional, unconditional uh, love. This was his, uh, now he was talking from his life's experience. I understood him very well. I understood him very well. So an animal is not bad. No, an animal is ra. It's not ra at all. Sometimes animals are great, uh, are great heroes. And, uh, and animals are, are certainly cute and charming and, and a lot of other things, you know, and very interesting. They're interesting. They're fascinating. I mean, the study of animals is a fascinating study, and it's really a study of the divine mind because the animals were created, you know, it's part of Marabu Masach Hashem, you know, to see how animals figure things out and how they develop in different animals. It's fascinating. That's why we call it Nefesh Bahamas. It's a very important distinction. Nefesh Bahamas is not necessarily bad. It could morph into a Yetzirah. And it often does. That's the point. That's the point. You have to understand what the Yetzirah is in its full picture. The Nefesh Bahamas expands it. It zooms out rather than zooming in. It zooms out and tries to give the full perspective of what a, what a, what a Nefesh Bahamas is. That's why there was a Kabbalist, uh, Rabbi Avram Abulefia, early Mekabalim. So he says, Yutke Vavke is Yetzer Hatoiv v'Yetzer Hara. Now that's pretty loaded. <laughs> Yutke Vavke Yetzer Hatoiv v'Yetzer Hara. At surface, it seems like almost heresy. Really? Yutke Vavke is Yetzer. That's Hashem's essential name in Shema Mefoyrish. Yutke Vavke is Yetzer Hara suddenly. Of course, it needs a lot of, it needs to be put into context. He's not saying that every evil instinct a person has, that's a revelation of God's name. What he's explaining is that even the Yetzir Hara, if you trace it back to its ultimate source, like he says here, it comes from a makam gavoya ma'ay, it comes from a very lofty space. So the Nefesh of Bahamas gives it some context. So let me try to clarify one point in this that we should be able to understand. I grew up in Brooklyn. In my community where I grew up, most people did not have dogs. And the reason is not because they have anything against dogs, but when you have homes 
that are populated Kenayan Hara with 11 kids, 12 kids, 16 kids, 17 kids, 9 kids, 8 kids. There's no need for extra action in the homes. There's enough going on in the homes. Nobody's bored. Everybody's pretty occupied. So therefore, it wasn't a common thing that people have dogs in the house the way I grew up. Then, God blessed me with my wife, who comes from Pittsburgh. And when I went to meet her grandparents, actually the day I got married, yeah, I came to Pittsburgh in the afternoon, so I went to her grandparents' house to say hi. They had a little dog called Georgie. It took me a long time to get used to Georgie, because I didn't grow up with a dog jumping on your lap and, and licking you and, and being your best friend and being your partner. In Brooklyn, when you see a dog, there you start saying, the, the boy starts saying, Every dog is an anti-Semite. Every dog is a monster. Every dog wants to kill you. So suddenly I see, you know, the dog is part of the family. You barbecue with the dog and you sleep with the dog and you're on the couch. I mean the same bed. And you're on the, the dog is everywhere. The dog watches television. The dog plays golf. And the dog, the dog is a member of the family. It has a name. It has a birthday. It has an anniversary. It has everything. Anyway, one day... My wife's grandparents, I mean, they're already in Oilema Emma's. This is a number of years ago. They called them Nanny and Pop-Up. So Nanny and Pop-Up made a barbecue, a poolside barbecue, which in a city like Pittsburgh or Muncie is sometimes a chi of minatayra, especially in the spring or summer months. That a pool. So we were sitting there and doing a barbecue. Shite. My wife's grandfather, mother told me that Georgie, you're not allowed to give him human food, only dog food. No, no human food. I'm sitting by the table there, and on my plate there was a piece of hot dog, a piece of hamburger, whatever, some meat. And a little piece fell to the ground. And Georgie eyed it. So Georgie starts circling, mamish with a lot of hakafas, the piece of meat on the ground, the hot dog or the hamburger, as I, as I, like this. And I could see that Georgie was engaged in deep contemplation. It was obvious. She's not touching it, but she's going fast this way, that way, around and around, like scratching her head, so to speak, thinking about something. Unlike Bilam's donkey, she wasn't communicating verbally, so I only could speculate what she was thinking, but she was thinking about something. Now I had to speculate. So my speculation went as follows. Is she thinking the following thoughts? Does eating this piece of meat constitute the fulfillment of my purpose in life? Is this what I was created for? Is this ultimately my purpose, my mission, my shlichus, the reason my soul came down into this world? Which brings to mind a bigger question. Why was I created? Who am I? What is identity even? And you know what? Why didn't God create me as a cat? Which would have made life so much easier. Or to piddle or not to piddle? That is the question. Or perhaps the dog was thinking, if it's moral, if it's spiritual, if it's right to eat it. Now, I cannot tell you she was not thinking these thoughts. I cannot swear. It just didn't seem like it. It seemed like she was thinking about one thing, and that is, could I get away with eating this piece of meat without Nanny zapping me? Those of you who have dogs, you know you zap the dog, which the dogs despise. Can I get away without being zapped? 
She was deeply engrossed in this thought process. Her psak din was, I could. She ate it. And even though we were all charged with the job of being informers on her, I decided, If I would eat a piece of meat illegally, I wouldn't want anybody to tell on me. So I'm not going to be the informer. And I didn't tell Nanny, as that she ate this piece of meat. She got away with it, and since then we became good buddies. We became good friends. Shmar Leva Eshmar Lach. I protected Georgie, and Georgie became a good friend of mine. Now, I think in many ways that describes very well the Nefesh Bahamas. The Nefesh Bahamas is not a bad soul. It's not evil, it's not cruel, it's not sadistic, it's not barbaric. It could become, as we know, people can be very barbaric, very sadistic, just have to open up the newspaper, unfortunately, every hour on the hour. The Nefesh Bahamas, however, is an animal. It operates on a certain consciousness. The consciousness it operates on is a beastly consciousness, an animal consciousness. It asks not questions about truth, destiny, meaning, purpose, transcendence. The questions it asks is, ultimately, my existence is taken for granted. My needs are taken for granted. The question is, could I get away with it? How can I get away with it? In other words, its focus is self-preservation and self-gratification and self-propagation, which is the focus of an animal, of a healthy animal. And that's a healthy animal. We don't expect more from an animal. We focus on an animal's self-preservation, self-gratification, self-endurance, including self-propagation. And that's also the mile of a nefesh Bahamas by an animal. I never saw a horse or a sheep saying, I would love the potato chips, but next week I have a wedding. And the gown won't fit. They don't do that. They eat. It's good to learn from them sometimes how to eat. They eat with one purpose. They want to live. Why do they want to live? That's really not part of their problem. Therapy they don't need. They didn't eat from the Eitzadas. They are instinctive creatures, and even their intelligence, it's embedded into them. And their intelligence is limited by the animal consciousness. It's intelligence of how to achieve the goal of self-preservation. And they're brilliant in this. If you ever studied apes, gorillas, monkeys, even insects, you know what ants do to build their colonies? You have a hundred million ants working together in synchronization without diplomats, without negotiators, without arbitrators, without Rabbonim, maybe that's why, without, uh, without that was just a joke, without, uh, without anybody in between, a hundred million ants working together, they call it in biology a superorganism. It's not one body, it's like, a, it's like one body of a hundred million. Who taught them this? Who taught us to that? So no question that Hashem embedded into their, uh, into their brains a mighty intelligence, but it's limited to one realm, and that is, how do I exist? How do I make sure I have food today? And they do it well. <laughs> they do it unbelievably well. I sometimes watch bees in front of my houses, spare time to watch bees is very interesting how they go to get the nectar and bring it back to the beehive oh so unbelievable how they do it and it's all it's all meticulously worked out and there's no moment of waste and no moment of rest 
they live for 30 days because they work so hard. They fly back and forth like 10 times a day. They work for 12 hours straight. They ultimately die from exhaustion, regular bees. So there's a lot of intelligence there. There's brilliance there. But all the brilliance is limited to a certain consciousness. And the consciousness asks one question. What is in it for me? Sometimes certain natures will include tremendous loyalty to the master because that like becomes an extension of you, like with dogs. Their loyalty to the master could be incredibly powerful and sometimes very moving, very emotional. Somebody sent me a story a little while ago. There was a dog that uh, saw a snake um, uh, attacking a a two-year-old, a three-year-old girl in the house by the pool and the snake jumped in between and, and the dog jumped in between and got the venomous bite. I saw the dog was in the ICU. I don't know what happened with the dog. But the dog jumped in. In other words, it identified its self-preservation with the self-preservation of, uh, of, of, of its master's girl. That's how deeply connected it becomes. Like that becomes its identity. The family, the house, the master, the master's family, whatever it is. But you can't expect from Georgie to ask any other question. That's her question. That's the Nefesh of Bahamas. It operates on that level. Self-preservation, self-gratification, and that's it. If we would have only had a Nefesh Bahamas, life wouldn't have been complicated. Because that's the question you ask. What makes life interesting and complicated, especially for a Jew, is that we also have a Nefesh HaLikis. A Nefesh HaLikis is a Chelek HaLikamimah. It's completely transcendent. It speaks a different language. It asks different questions. It seeks truth. It wants to know what is true. It wants to know what is ultimately true. It doesn't seek self-preservation and self-gratification. It rather wants to connect with the ultimate reality and the ultimate truth of life. Now, you know how complicated it is to have these two consciousnesses together? The first one works. The first one works. That's why frogs don't suffer from depression. Dogs today, they have therapists for dogs in California and New York, but that's only because they hang out with people for too long. So they become as meshugas as we mentioned. But naturally, animals are, are also have very deep emotions. You know about the emotions of elephants? How emotionally they, emotional they are? Their memories, they're, it's very, very moving with elephants. There was a fellow in Africa who used to save elephants. You know, elephants are endangered species because uh, they shoot them all the time. It's really uh, not very nice what they do to elephants. They're very you know, special and majestic animals, very interesting animals. I mean, all animals... So, uh, but they want their, uh, what do they want? Their ivory, right? It's very, very precious, huh? The tusks. The tusks, yeah. So there was this fellow in Africa who dedicated his life to rescue elephants. And he rescues many elephants, and he sent them back into the jungle. Anyway, I read this story. It was fascinating to me. The guy died a number of years ago. The guy died. In his house, he lived in Africa somewhere, in some city. And elephants in the jungle walked for 12 miles, 12 miles to his house where he was dead. They stood there for two days and they walked back. How they knew he died, nobody texted it to them. And I don't think they read the websites. They knew he died, they came, they stayed for two days, they went home. They went back to the jungle. It's very, uh, it's very profound stuff. It's not simple. You know? So, I say this all to bring out the point. Where's the huh? uh, 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 uh. What happens to this Nefesh Bahamas? 
If my focus is self-preservation and self-gratification, that's my focus. Now the question is, what is gratification? I'm a physical person, right? So I have intuitions. So naturally, there's certain things that give me enjoyment, give me pleasure. And there's certain things I feel I need to exist. And because I'm a physical person, I don't see things deeply. I'm like an animal. So an animal knows this is good for me, this is not good for me. As a human being grows up, if the nefesh of Bahamas is not educated, refined, and shown things, naturally it could morph into a Yetzir Hara. I start craving things that are destructive. For example, they may be bad for me, but they're enjoyable, or at least they feel enjoyable. They may belong to you, but that's not part of my cheshben. My cheshben is, I have to live. So my cute animal can turn into a dangerous beast. If it's not, like the Pasuk says, It doesn't begin with that. It begins with, actually, a pure animal. And not only that, with the proper enlightenment, it can be completely sublimated and elevated. Why? Because it's not looking for bad, it's looking to exist. It's looking for gratification. What if it could be shown what is real what is real existence? What does it mean to exist? And what is authentic gratification? Then suddenly the animal soul can become a full partner with the divine soul. Now that exists on many different levels. How much can it partner up? There's many different pchinis in life. That's why he says there's lilchaim and there's levarim. Lilchai means it's not always going to work peacefully. If I'm having a terrible instinct, right, to steal, to pickpocket money, I can't come to my nefesh Bahamas and say, you know, you're this cutest animal. I want to punch somebody's nose, or I want to scream at somebody, or I have an addiction to gambling, or to alcohol, or whatever the lovely addictions that people have today. And I'm going to start telling the nefesh Bahamas, you're this cute, beautiful little animal, I'm going to lose. Sometimes you have to wage battle. The Shinnevirov says, you know the Shinnevirov, the son of the Divri Chayim, the Tzanzer. And it's on the Shinnevirov, it's a sefer called Divri Yechesko. So he says in Parshas Vayeshev, it says, Vayimoin, Yosef refused Potiphar's wife, and Vayimoin is a Shalshelas. Vayimoin. What's the Shalshelas? So the Shinnevirov says, he was the Rav of Shinnevir, son of the Tzanzerov. So I saw once in a sefer, Divri Yechesko on Chumash, he says in Yiddish that Yosef said, now I don't know if Yosef spoke Yiddish, but he probably means, means it symbolically. By your mind, as a Shalshelis, you basically repeat the same note three times. It's like you're stuck. Ah. So he said, Yosef told her, Nain, Nain, Nain. That's what Yosef did. No. She said, No, no. And then it says he gave an explanation. You don't first give an explanation and then say no. Because the moment you give an explanation, you already fell prey to the addiction. You understand that? First, no. If you want, I'll explain it to you, but it's always no. There's going to be that stage. You have to fight. You sometimes have to battle. You have to say no. Not because the Nefesh Abbas is essentially evil. Because that's what it is right now. And if you don't battle, you're not going to win. You're going to lose. Ultimately, however, there's a process of bitter, conversation, enlightenment, education. The main mission with the Nefesh Bahamas is never obliteration. 
It's always education, which is what education is. Education is never about destroying somebody. Anybody who associates education with destroying somebody, or put it simply, an educator or parent who says something to a student or a bacher or a girl or a child that makes them feel destroyed, that's not education. That's horrible. That's, that's wrong. It's immoral. That's never what it's about. It's, sometimes it requires discipline, but never to destroy, to elevate, to sublimate, to channel, to harness, to refine, to be mevarer the toy from the ra. It's an avoid of birur. Birur is not destruction. Birur is extricating who you are and eliminating the toxicity that attached itself to you. That's one of the ideas Nefesh Bahamas gives us over Yetzahara. It morphs into a Yetzahara. To become a Yetzahara, but at its core, we're dealing with an animal consciousness that through human effort or through divine effort of the Nefesh Alakis can reach great states. Of, of spiritual and moral enlightenment. So the Nefesh kiss comes into the world in order to build a relationship, so to speak, a connection with the Nefesh Bahamas. And there's a battle, however. It battles it, it refines it, it speaks to it, and ultimately elevates it, sublimates it. That is why we have the name Yisrael. The Jew is called Yisrael. Why is this the name of the Jew? Kamashakasov, the Pasik says, of course, in Vayishlach, he was given this name, Kisarisa Imelikim Vimanoshim Vatucham. The man who battled Yaakov says, Sarisa. Sarisa means you quarreled, you fought, you wrestled, wrestled. Imelikim with gods, Vimanoshim with humans, Vatuchal and Hazgiyachal, you prevailed. From the word Yachal, you prevailed. You demonstrated capability. Pirish, what does this represent? On an internal level, it means Yisrael. What does it mean to be a Jew? Shanefesh alikis tishtarer alachiyunis abahamas kisarisa that the nefesh alikis should become a sar, should become a ruler on the chiyunis and the bahamas on the biological and animal soul. He should become its leader. He should become the mentor of the animal soul, not the other way around. Because if it's the other way around, ultimately. The purpose of one's life is not fulfilled and the godly soul is miserable and ultimately the animal soul is also miserable. The only way to achieve menuchas anefer, serenity is if it becomes clear in a person's life that there is a boss, there is a mentor and the mentor is the nefer shalikis. To give parashat dogma, if somebody owns a dog, for example, the dog goes ahead of the master, the dog sees a garbage can, jumps into the garbage can to find some food, and gets excited. If the man, the master, is going to say, okay, let me follow my dog. So you also go into the garbage can, and you start nibbling from the garbage. Ultimately, it feels horrible for the person. It's not what he's supposed to do. So what does he do? He stays out of the garbage can, and he says, come over, come over. Now sometimes the dog listens, sometimes the dog doesn't listen. Depends how well you trained it. Sometimes it comes begrudgingly, sometimes it comes willingly. But it's not possible to have the human turn in to a dog and start doing what a dog does. You're not going to have that. For the dog, it's fine. That's what the dog does. On the other hand, the dog can be mentored. The dog can be trained by the master, and then the dog is also happy. So a person has a choice. The nefesh al-kiss could follow the nefesh al-bahamis, 
or the nefesh abamis could follow the nefesh alakis. But whatever you do to the nefesh alakis, it's never going to become a behemoth. It's always going to remain godly. So therefore, the only path towards serenity, according to this shit of the Balatanya, is only kisarisa, when the nefesh alakis is going to gain mastery over the nefesh abamis, because you can't have the godliness in a person become animalistic. It's not. So whatever you do to try to have it follow the dog, it's never going to become an animal. It will always remain divine, and thus it will remain miserable and grouchy and depressed if you're forcing it to behave contrary to its true nature and identity. What about the other way around? The other way around, the animal will follow the master, sometimes begrudgingly, sometimes willingly, sometimes enthusiastically, but that's the way to have menuchas hanefesh. Now this is a very important idea. Because there is contention in life. There is a split in the human psyche. There is a dichotomy. The question is, is man capable of menucha, of serenity, of tranquility? Or are we destined to battle forever? Can there really be a sense of wholesomeness? The smahalach here that he's explaining is that there's one way for wholesomeness. And that's only if the nefesh of Bahamas becomes mentored by the nefesh alakis, never the other way around. Because you can't turn the alakis into a Bahamas. So therefore, if the Bahamas controls you, ultimately the alakis is repressed and crushed, and therefore its voice will be a voice of anxiety and anxiousness. And very often the source of anxiety and anxiousness could be this very reality. And that is that the person's soul, the person's godly soul, is completely repressed. But the other way around, the Nefesh Bahamas, it may resist, but it's not contrary to its core. When it follows the Nefesh Alakis, you're not crushing it at its core. On the contrary, you're elevating it back to its core. So therefore, sometimes you have to battle, sometimes it does it enthusiastically, just like the dog with the master. It's not going to suffer from coming out of the garbage can and going to the beautiful gardens that the master goes into. So therefore, here too. So the Avoid is Kisarisa, you have to become a sar. And therefore, to ultimately metamorphosize all her thoughts and midas, which are undivine from ra to toif. Now again, ra toif here doesn't necessarily mean from evil to good, like we usually translate evil. Ra in the terminology of Torah Sachasidus means fragmented, ruus ruach, broken. Something that experiences itself as broken, meaning it's not holistic. It's not one. Why is it not one? Because it's separated from the source of creation. Anything that's separated from the source of creation, this is called ra. Ra doesn't mean here bad, negative, sadistic, barbaric. It could mean that too, of course. Ra could mean that too. But ra could sometimes be very subtle. A sense of self-consciousness, a sense of loneliness, a sense of solitariness. A sense that I am not holy, I'm not part of the oneness of Hashem, that is Ra. As I told you, in Kohelas, it says Ru'us Ruach, it means broken. Ra means broken. We have it in, 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 in Halacha, in Gemara. Kaisel Ra'ua, right? In Hakainis, in Babakama, other places. Kaisel Ra'ua, what does it mean? A weak wall, it's about to fall, it's about to break. Ra'ua means weak, it's fragmented, it's going to shatter, it's going to disintegrate. So that's what Ra means. Ra means shattered, disintegrated. In other words, broken off. Broken off from what? It's a shard that's broken off from the oneness of life. When a person is in a place of Ra, means a person doesn't feel one with Hashem. When you don't feel one with Hashem, I'm in a place of, of Ra. 
So sometimes I, I'm eating, I'm going to the bathroom, I'm sleeping, whatever I'm doing, what does it mean, ra? Ra, when I'm eating, am I in oneness with my source, with my soul, with my God, with the world? That's a space of toif. Space of ra means I'm on my own. On my own, not in the good sense of on my own, that you know I take responsibility. On my own meaning that I'm, I'm alone, I'm, I'm detached, I'm disconnected. I don't feel my holiness. I don't feel that I'm part of holiness. So the avoid is to take the nefesh of Bahamas, which is not evil at its core, and to transform its machshavas and midas. And one can, because an animal can be refined and educated, like a child can be refined and educated. Elikim, like the past success in Eiv in Perik Aleph. So the Targum says, The children of the great. is the children of the great. So Alpinister on a deeper level, he says, The children of Ravrevaya, it represents the Midois, which are powerful, which are potent. When a person has an emotion, it can take over. You know, you have an emotion, it becomes overwhelming. Rav Revaya. V'im anoshim, p'chines maise enosh. Enoshu. So when it says, Kisarise melekim, v'im anoshim vatuchal, elekim represents midois, anoshim represents maise enosh. It says until the maise enosh v'tach The works, the actions of man, So Kisarisa, you wrestle and more importantly you become a sar, a leader, over Elikim, over your midas, over your actions, and you transfer them from disunity to unity. Which is always one with its source, with Hashem Beli Hester Panam Klal. There's never a concealment of face. The Nefesh Alakis always senses the presence of the Divine. There's a part of us that is always one with God, and there's no Hester over there. There's no Hester Panam. It's one with its source. Hamavarid, or she can be boider, she can refine. Umayla and elevate. Nefesh Achiyun is the biological soul. To become included, to become submerged in the Ayyad Hashem. He says, Real bittel means that you become part of the klal. You're not anymore fragmented, you're not anymore a detail, a prat, that becomes lost, but it's like a leaf. The leaf is connected to the tree, and you come to the leaf, and you ask the leaf, how are you? And the leaf looks at you, and the leaf says, I'm miserable. And you ask the leaf, why are you miserable? And the leaf says, because I'm forever connected to this tree, and I want to ultimately go on my own. I want to become a successful, autonomous being in existence. This tree dictates everything I do. This tree gives me, this tree has roots, and I'm always connected to these roots, and I'm basically based and being defined by the rhythm of this tree, and I dream for the day when freedom will ring and uh, I will be extricated from the shackles of slavery that tie me down to this narcissistic tree. And then a wind comes, and uh, 
the leaf gets detached from the tree and the leaf starts dancing and making kulas, making uh, somersaults and tumble sauces on the, on the street as it rolls from one place to another place and it's completely free. It's completely free. And then you come a few days later and it's there by the sewer, you know, and it changed colors. It's not green anymore. It's now dark dark gray, it's shriveled up, it's lifeless, it's dry, it's half its size, and you say, well, you went on a diet? You're so emaciated? Right? And uh, a few weeks later, the, the leaf just uh, disappears from the face of the horizon. So, the ch- leaf on the tree wasn't an act of coercion of dictatorship. The leaf on the tree was allowing the leaf actually to be the leaf, to be a leaf. When it's off the tree, what happens? It doesn't have its source of vitality. So that's what why he says Bittel really means to become nichlal in the Eirin Saif. In other words, to realize how small you are on your own, but how large you are because of your connection to the Ein Saif. On one hand, on your own, there's no real existence. But when you realize who you really are, that you're part of the infinite, then you're much bigger and larger and more powerful than you ever imagined. So it's this paradox, the powerlessness of the leaf on its own, but that allows it actually to appreciate what it really is. That's why, This is what Yisrael means. Of course. Of course. Because Nefesh Bahamas is Ra. What do we mean Ra? Disconnected. It doesn't feel any connection. Not that it, at its core it's not connected. The chiyus of everything comes from Hashem, including the Nefesh Bahamas. But it went through a whole process of evolutions to the point that the energy that comes into it is so restricted and so concealed that it experiences itself as an animal. It experiences itself as a beast and it does the best it can under the circumstances. It doesn't recognize its ultimate core and ultimate source. So the Nefesh kiss is really in a lifelong conversation with the Nefesh Bahamas, It's a lifelong conversation. And as we will see, the Zman HaTfilah, that is the time when the primary conversation takes place. The conversation between the godly soul, it's a conversation. I don't mean necessarily a conversation that you talk to yourself, I mean you could do that too. You know, the best in the Shans, the Mishpachas do it. But, uh, but it, it's a mental conversation, it's an internal conversation between the two parts of the human being. And it's almost comforting the animal soul and allowing it to be able to become what it's truly capable of becoming. What does this mean? The word kale in Paiskim, it always says kale means strength. He took the powerful of the land. Ale, kale is strength, power. Yisrael, you must have the element of kale, of chayzek, because if the nefesh alakis becomes meek, then it could never be successful. You always have to know that the nefesh Bahamas is looking for direction. You know, when a dog, when you buy a dog, the worst thing is that the dog thinks it's the master of the house. What is it called, the expression? Alpha. The alpha. Because what happens then is it can really hurt, you know, the kids and the father and the mother in the house, so you do it a, a harm when you make believe it's the master and you don't display confidence and strength. Imagine a teacher goes into a classroom and in order to appease the children, 
the teacher sits down on the floor and starts playing and claims that he's one of the kids. So then what happens is, it confuses the children, it makes them feel queasy and creepy and weird. You, you should connect to me, but you have to know who you are. When you don't know who you are, then you don't do yourself or the other a favor by being like that. When the Nefesh HaLakis walks into life, it has to tell the Nefesh Abamas here, I'm here for you, but I'm here to train you. I know who I am and I know who you are. And that's the concept of Yisrael, Kisarisa. You have to be a Sar, and you have to have the Nekud of Kale, which is Chayzik and Ramshallah. So this is what the Pazak says in Tehillim, Yemeshnoi Seinu Bahem Shivim Shana. Vim Bigvudishmainim Shana. David HaMelech says in Tehillim, Kapitel Tzadik, Tfilalamayshin. We say Chabbos morning, right? Yemeshnoi Seinu Bahem Shivim Shana. What's the Bahem? Bahem is Daika. Bahem Lashinabim. Bishtehanafashis. Yemeshnoi Seinu Bahem. The years of our life. Bahem with them. In them with the two souls. Not one. Is Shivim Shana. Here, here are key words. Every day there's going to be a new battle between the two souls. The challenge of yesterday that you met, today you'll have a new thing to deal with. In other words, and that's why he says something That's why no two people's lifespans are identical. One person lives longer, one person shorter. Why? The amount of years allotted to every person has to do with one Nekuda. And that is, how much work he has to do with his animal soul. How much battle he has to do with his animal soul, based on who she is, how many years he needs in order to make a dent and ultimately a transformation in the animal soul that it becomes taif. So some of the guys earlier was more successful earlier? Yeah, well, it's a different type of Nefesh Bahamas. Maybe the good die young is not, uh, is not just... Well, of course, he's not giving here the full reason why the Cheshbet. But in other words, the Shlichas of every person in this world has often to do with... Remember, there's a concept of Gilgul, and there's a lot of different uh, things that play themselves out. Right, you don't know why a person came down, which nekud of the nefesh abhamas, but it's always for the tikkun of the nefesh abhamas, and that's the lifespan of the person. What type of tikkun the nefesh abhamas needs? That's very hard to know. So you've got a teacher, whoever, parent, whatever, who comes into class and tries to master all the students, is not good at it. Or he hasn't worked on, he hasn't worked on himself. Nothing. At what stage should that teacher just? Quit. Quit. <laughs> yeah. Right. So that's the other extreme. The other extreme is one extreme is you become a child. The other extreme is that you run away. In other words, I can't deal with it. The point is you have to connect to the child. A teacher has to connect to the children, but not become one of the children. Because the children need a teacher. You know, children need parents. When parents become one of the children, <laughs> it's not good for the children. Huh? Yeah, so, so there's, there's, on one hand, you want to be able to identify with the students, that they should feel close to you. On the other hand, you don't want to become the students. So on one hand, the Nefesh Abahamas has to understand the Nefesh Alikas. You have to communicate in a way that's relevant, that's relatable. But on the other hand, you have to know who is the master and you have to establish it. In other words, you can't take the Nefesh Abahamas that seriously to turn it into the master of your life because it needs guidance, it needs help, it needs sublimation. 
And that's the Yemeshna Seinu Behem Shivim Shana. They say a Maisa about uh, the Kotzke Rebbe. Rav Zevin brings it, Rabbi Shlomo Yosef Zevin, the Sefer Sipurei Chsidim, that once the Kotzke Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Morgenstern was his name, Morgenstern. He once, a father came to him and asked him to come visit a child who was very ill. So he came for Bikr Cholim, and he asks the Kotzke to give a bracha for him, to daven for him. And he says, my son is Mamash Atzadik, a Malach. And he starts praising his son. He says, nah, as nicht as a tzaddik, as nicht as a malach. And he starts denigrating the boy. So the Talmidim afterwards asked him, why would you do this? You talk to the Kotzke Rebbe, you know, he couldn't tolerate uh, flattery and patronizing, we know, but some matzah nebuch, he has an ill child, what do you put it down the kid? See, he says he didn't understand. The Gemara says about the Ptarfin, in Kiddushin, the Ptarfin became sick. So the Chazchamim came for Bikr Chaylam. So the mother of Reptarfin, who was a Tzatzke herself, Gemara describes that she was uh, not a very nice woman. She had a lot of issues. She tells the Chachamim, you have to daven for him, because his kibud aim is incredible. He used to respect his mother. I mean, the Gemara says he once uh, put his hands under her feet because she didn't have uh, soles in the shoes. She once spit at him in public and he didn't respond. His kibud aim is incredible. So the Chachamim said he didn't even reach half of the mitzvah of Kibbutzim. Because was just, the man is sick. What do you have to? What do you have to insult him? What do you have to denigrate him? So the Kotzke explained that the shlichus of Reb Tarfin in this world was Kibbutzim. If he fulfilled the mitzvah of Kibbutzim, then his soul goes back to its source. So he said he didn't even fulfill half the mitzvah of Kibbutzim. This man was telling me that his son is a tzaddik, metamalach, and his avoid is perfect. If he's perfect, then uh, he doesn't have anything to do in this world. The reason you're in this world is because you're not perfect. So the Deferi Shleimer, the Radomsky Rebbe, brings in the Pasuk, So he says, When the Neshama goes out of Ganeiden into this world, it's It's going to battle. If you don't know this, then you have nothing to do in this world. This world is a battle. It's a conflict. And as he says, every day it's a new Mulchama. I may have dealt with one aspect of my animal soul yesterday, but today something is going to come up. You're going to finish Shachris. You're going to get a text from the favorite person in your life. You're going to get Suhitzt. And you're like, wow, I thought I was in a good mood today. I thought I was inspired. I thought I was this. And you lose it. It's a Mulchama Chadasha. And it's always interesting how it comes, when it comes, where it comes. Right, right field, left field, <laughs> center field. It comes from somewhere. Kiseitzi, the neshama goes out to the world. You have to know it's la melchama. Because if you don't know this, then what happens? Two things. First of all, you're not dressed for war. <laughs> you're dressed for peace, and that's not good. You've got to have the gear. More importantly, you get depressed if you have war. You don't get depressed for This is it. You go to the front lines, you don't get depressed. Oh, you have an enemy. Of course, that's why you're here. If you wouldn't have an enemy, you wouldn't be here. This is a chilek of the tachlis. He says even, it says in the haftar of Chayesara, the beginning of, uh, the, the beginning of, uh, of Malachim, of Malachim, right? He was 70 years old and he couldn't get warm. Right? He couldn't get warm. So they brought him Avishag Hashunamis. 
to warm him up. Farish Lima says that he was 70. So he was mevarer all of his seven middas of the Nefesh Bahamas because each one of the middas includes ten. Each middah chesed is chachmeh shebeh chesed, bina shebeh chesed, da'as shebeh chesed, chesed shebeh chesed, so that's what, 70, 70 years. In other words, each ten years is keneged one middah, right? So it's ten, so it's ten, seven times ten. And uh, he was completely nizbarer. Because he completed his bar, there was nothing for him to do in the world. Because he wasn't heated, there was no passion, there was no taiva, there was no struggle. And because there was no struggle, then he has nothing to do in the world. And Ephesha Bahamas is perfected. So go back to the source, what are you doing here? So he explains the whole story, that they wanted to create some, uh, some need, so to speak, for struggle. Some chamimus, some passion, some issue in David HaMelech's life in order to be able to continue his life. But that's the Nekudah, that every day there's a Melchama Chadasha. And every day there's another battle between the Nefesh HaLikis and the Nefesh Bahamas. Now the reason for the battle is to sublimate, to elevate it. So therefore, everybody's Shlichus and mission in life is how much they have to work with their animal soul. And since everybody has a different Nefesh Bahamas. So therefore, everybody has a different lifespan and different places where their life takes them in order to deal with their animal soul. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.